0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net.
1: Today's scripture is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. If you're using the Black Bibles, you'll find this on page 839. Mark chapter 4. And he said, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, "To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and not and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Last week, we were talking about this question, who is Jesus? And We said that people were responding to Jesus in various ways. Some responded to Jesus calling him a lunatic. They said he was out of his mind. Some called Jesus a liar. They were witnessing the teaching and the healing. And they are witnessing Jesus cast out demons by his royal authority. But instead of seeing these things as signs and evidence that King Jesus is actually being powered by the Spirit of God himself, they said Jesus is a liar. The reason why he can cast out demons is because he's demonized. He's actually empowered by the prince of demons himself. And yet last week we saw that some people surveyed the evidence of Christ, his teaching, His healing, the way He's casting out demons with authority, and they survey the evidence before Him, and they come and draw the conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth, He is the Christ, the King, the the Son of God in the flesh. And so as Mark rolls us out of one question, who is Jesus, he rolls us into another question, a question that revolves around this idea of rejecting and receiving. See, Mark is leading us to this place where he is just simply laying out before us who is Christ and what did he come to do. And so we sort of find ourselves now in the gospel of Mark in a place where where Mark is sort of, he's taken a little breather, he's laid out before us several things, several signs, several pieces of evidence of who Jesus is and what he came to do and now he's stepping back and says, okay, let's consider some things. And so last week he really pressed on us, he called for us to consider that question, who is Jesus? Is he a liar, is he a lunatic, or is he Lord? And now as Mark finishes that up, he rolls us into this first major parable that we see of Jesus The parable of the seed and the soils. And really what Jesus is going to do is he's going to address this question of why are people reacting in the various ways that they are? Why are they responding in this way? If Jesus really is the King, if He really is the Son of God, cloaked in flesh, if He really is teaching with authority, healing with authority, casting out demons with authority, all signs, all evidence that are meant to point to what we find on the lips of Jesus back in Mark 1, that the kingdom of God is at hand, we're called to repent and believe this good news that he, the king, is on the scene. The question then comes So, why are some people surveying this evidence and dismissing Jesus as a liar, dismissing Jesus as a lunatic, and why are some people surveying this exact same evidence and drawing the conclusion that Jesus is Lord? And so what Mark does is he plops this parable Ride right on the heels of that question, Who is Jesus? So that Jesus, with His own lips, can give us a teaching, give us a truth, give us a parable, helping explain why some people reject the good news that Jesus is the Christ who came to save sinners, and why some people receive the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior who came to save sinners. And it's this idea of rejecting and and receiving is the main theme that we're going to find in verses 1 through 20 in the parable of the seed and the soils. Well, before we turn our attention to this parable itself, we need to just hit pause and ask a question and consider this, this thought, why does Jesus teach in parables? What are the purpose of parables? And the reason why we're just going to turn our attention to this quickly is because Jesus himself turns his attention to it right smack dab in the middle of this parable if you look down in verses 10 through 12 Jesus addresses the purpose of parables starting in verse 1 Mark points out that Jesus is once again on the move he's teaching by the sea we find that a large crowd is around him again so the crowds are growing and they're growing and growing they're not diminishing The people around him are starting to draw the conclusion. This guy is doing what we would expect him to be doing. He's drawing crowds. The the publicity behind him is just ramping up to an all-time high. And we see that in verses 1 that the crowd is so heavy that it actually drives Jesus into a nearby boat. And from this floating pulpit, as he's on a boat out on the edge of the sea, the crowd is there on the edge of the sea. And it says, Mark says that Jesus begins to teach the crowds many things in parables. Now, it's this reality that Jesus makes a decision to teach these crowds, these people, in parables that drives the twelve, in verse 10, it drives those around Jesus to begin to ask about the parables. If you go into Matthew chapter 13, the actual question on the lips of the disciples whenever they see the crowds are huge, the groundswell is building and building and building, and Jesus takes the tact of not going plain, not going simple, but actually trying to teach the things of God in the form of parables, the question on their lips to Jesus in Matthew's gospel is, why do you speak to the crowd in parables? Like, why are you choosing to go this route? And in their question, you can sense an air of confusion. I mean, after all, the crowds are big. The thing is going the way we want it to go. Don't take, Jesus, don't make the decision that's going to diminish the crowds. I mean, after all, parables are hard to understand. I mean, why would you choose to teach in a way that could potentially lead people to walk away? And not stay and listen and learn. And so in response to this this confusion, to this question on the lips of the twelve and those around him, why do you speak in parables? Jesus says, starting off in verse 11, Listen, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Parables. And then he jumps into Isaiah chapter 6 and he quotes Isaiah here. He says that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. See, in this response here, Jesus is simply just unpacking the purpose of why he speaks in parables. In a nutshell, Jesus is simply saying this. With his arrival... The secret of the kingdom of God has now been revealed. Now that he is on the scene, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the only proper response to this reality is to repent and to believe in this good news. We're no longer looking forward to that one, to that Christ to that Messiah who's going to come. Jesus says, now that I am here, look at the signs, look at the evidence, look at my teaching, look at my healing, look at the way I'm casting out demons, all displaying signs and evidence of my royal authority. You need to know this. I am the one all of the Old Testament has been pointing forward to. I am the one who's going to make a way for sinful humanity to once and for all be able to have a right relationship with God the Father. So your right response to this reality is to repent, to turn from sin and turn to Christ. Stop believing the things opposite of God Turn and start believing in the good news of my kingship, the good news of my kingdom. See, this truth is no longer hidden now that Christ is on the scene. God has now openly revealed the plan of salvation, ultimately consummated in His Son. And so for those who see Jesus as Lord, for those who understand Read the evidence that his teaching and that his healing and that his casting out demons with authority, the ones who look and say, I see this Galilean carpenter before me, but he's more than just a mere man from Galilee. This man is the God-man. He is the Lord. For those who see this as a truth, Jesus is saying, you are understanding the secret of the kingdom. Jesus is the King, and life with God is now available to anyone who turns from their sins and trusts in Him. And for these people, Jesus is saying these parables, when I teach in parables in this way, what it will do is it will lead you to satisfaction. It will lead you to understanding in who God has revealed Himself to be in His Son. But for those who continue to stiffen in their resistance against the King and His kingdom... For those like last week that we saw, the religious leaders who came down from Jerusalem, they survey the scene, they look at Jesus, and what's the conclusion they draw? That he's a liar. That he's out of control. That he's actually demonized. They look at the grace of God on display in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and what do they do? They draw the conclusion, this is satanic. This is not of God. For Jesus is saying for those who find themselves in this place where their hearts are continuing to stiffen in their resistance against Christ the King and His kingdom, then parables are going to stand as a warning and they're going to stand as a judgment. Jesus is saying this is why I'm teaching in parables in this way. And so it's. All this by way of background, which really ultimately sets the context for this parable. Because Jesus is going to give sort of a mild chiding over there in verse 13, saying, listen, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? What Jesus is simply teaching us is this. This parable and the way he's unpacking how people respond to the word of the gospel whenever he goes preaching. This idea that some people are going to hear, the, hear one thing, They're going to reject, and some people are going to hear the exact same thing and receive. He says, this idea that I'm unpacking for you in this parable is really the key to understanding the gospel, understanding the parables, understanding all the parables that are going to come, understanding what I'm about, understanding my kingdom, understanding how I am the king, I'm the one who's come to save people. Jesus is saying, what you need to do is really understand this idea here before me. And so it's with this in mind, with this context set that Jesus then turns and he rolls right into probably one of the more famous parables that he teaches, the parable of the seed and the soils. And when we see this, Jesus begins explaining why some people reject the word of the gospel. He explains why some people reject the word of the gospel. So again, this parable stands as the key to all of Jesus' teaching in parables, which is why he takes the time to give the parable and then unpack the parable for the disciples. And so when you're reading this, you see three things. You see a sower. It's a word for a farmer. You see the seed. And then you also see the soils. And when you read this, you need to understand, have in the back of your mind, that the sower represents Jesus. The seed represents the word of the gospel, the word of God, and the soils represent the various conditions of men's hearts, the way men and women respond to the word of God because of the nature, the attitude, the condition of their heart. So as Jesus goes around demonstrating his royal authority, he's proclaiming the good news of God, we see that some people reject the word of the gospel because they have a hard heart, because they have a hard heart verse 3 Jesus says listen behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it you jump over to verse 14 he begins to explain this idea by saying listen the sower sows the word the word of the gospel And these are the ones along the path where this word is sown. When they hear the gospel, when they hear the word of God, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So Jesus tells us that this path represents a hard heart. The idea is that Jesus is playing on something that would be extremely common to these men and women listening to him. Farming in that day was called something called broadcast sowing." And so what you had was just a patch of fertile land, but then there might be some rocky soil around it. there might be some thorns and weeds around it. There would be the path maybe that the farmer, or the sower, would walk along, and as other people walked along, that path would be super, super hard, just simply worn down and stamped down and made hard, because people are walking on it. And the idea here is that Jesus is giving is that the sower is reaching into a bag and he's just throwing out seed, throwing out seed. Throwing out seeds, some is landing on that hard path where people are walking. Some is landing in that rocky soil. It's got a that rocky soil's got a little bit of depth to it, but it's still shallow. Some of it's landing in better soil, but it's choked over with weeds. And some is landing in that good fertile soil, exactly where you hope that seed would go. And Jesus says this idea of that when the sower who sows the word of God, he's sort of like the the farmer who throws seed and it lands on the the hard ground. Jesus tells us that this path represents a hard heart, a heart that is impervious to the Gospel. Just as seed ricochets off hard ground, so the Word of God just continues to ricochet off their hard heart. They go from Sunday to Sunday. They go from weekend and week out. They hear the message of the gospel. They hear the good news of the cross. They know that Jesus is a Savior who saves sinners. They understand the concept that hell is forever and people not saved will go there forever. They understand that they need to repent and believe. They can talk about things in the Bible, they've heard teachers, they've listened to stuff on the radio, they've maybe shown up in your community group, they have these concepts in their mind, but immediately, as soon as they hear it, Jesus says Satan comes and it just snatches that truth away. For whatever reason, those truths land on their heart. Instead of soaking into the soil of the heart, it lands and ricochets, it lands and it ricochets, it lands and it ricochets. It never goes deep into their heart. So when the service ends on a day like today, what they do is they close their Bibles. And the moment they close their Bibles, so do their ears and hearts close, which explains why the kingdom of God just simply slides over their heart from Sunday to Sunday. The good news of the gospel just slides over their heart week in and week out. The soil of their heart is hardened against God and His Word. Well, Jesus shifts on down. Next, he shows us that some people reject the word of the gospel because they have a shallow heart. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, the other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And so, jump to verse 16. Jesus explains this portion of the parable. He says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the Word, the Word of the God, the Word of the Gospel, immediately they receive it with joy. Now, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while but then, when tribulation and persecution, here's the key, arises on account of the Word, on account of the Gospel, on account of the thing they just said, I am now believing in. When tribulation and persecution arise on the account of the Word, immediately they fall away. See, here the rocky ground represents a heart that, that responds to the Word of God a bit more positively, at least a bit more positively than the hard heart. You'll notice that Jesus is making a progression towards that good soil, the place where we all need to be. So, here, the rocky ground, it's representing a heart that truly responds to the Word of God. This person hears the Word, and notice they immediately receive it with joy. They endure for a while, they even show signs of maturity in their life. But just as a plant sprouts quickly and looks promising, these people are quickly green and then quickly gone. Just as you throw some seed in that rocky soil, it takes root and it sprouts up, but because there's no depth in their life, no true roots sunk down into the gospel, just as the sun comes up and scorches that little plant that's over on that rocky soil, so the, the heat of life comes and scorches This proclamation, this immediate reception of God's gospel with joy. Because they're rooted in emotion rather than the gospel, one minute they hear the word and receive it with joy, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, notice what they do. Immediately they fall away. See the immediacy there? They hear it. Immediately it's with joy. Trial and persecution come. Immediately they're bailing out. They're driven by emotion back and forth and back and forth. Their response to the gospel wasn't rooted in a genuine knowledge. God is the Father. I am His creation. Sin has separated me from Him. I need a Savior. The Father has sent the Son. The Son has died on the cross. The Son went into the grave. The Son resurrected from the dead. He is my Savior. He has defeated Satan's sin and death. These people don't have their roots in that reality. These people just have their roots based in a a wishy-washy emotional high A decision made in a moment without considering, counting the cost of what it means to truly follow Christ. So, whether it's the mocking of a friend, they show up at work on Monday and said, Man, Jesus really got a hold of my life on Sunday. And their friend starts going, What? You believe that BS? Maybe it's the threat of a family member. A brother or a sister begin to poke fun at you because now you're the religious guy. Or maybe it's the ultimatum of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse demanding that you need to choose Jesus or you need to choose me because if you choose Jesus, I'm bailing. And so what do they do? They weigh their options and go, well, I don't want to lose family and I don't want to lose friends and I don't want to lose my spouse or my girlfriend or my boyfriend. So they say, Jesus, you got to go. They pitch Jesus to the curb and they walk away from him because tribulation and persecution have arisen on account of the word. And so immediately they fall away. Jesus continues. He turns our attention to another potential response, to someone who rejects the word of the gospel. And this person rejects the word of the gospel because they have a distracted heart. So not a hard heart, not a shallow heart, but a distracted heart. Verse 7. Jesus continues the parable. He says, other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up. The thorns choked. It yielded no grain. Explaining this, Jesus rolls into verse 18. He says, these others, this sort of thorny patch of ground, these are those who hear the word, but notice three things. The cares of the world... The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, here again, this soil, the soil of this heart, is in a bit better shape than the previous two. It's definitely not hard, it's definitely not shallow. There's some depth here, but unfortunately, the depth here is giving way to bad growth. It's giving way to multiple thorns, multiple weeds that are choking out and ultimately rendering this soil to be not good. And so what we have here is still an issue of unbelief in this person's heart. Because the depth doesn't make up for the distraction that is in their life. So these people also, they they attend Sunday mornings They might visit or participate in a community group. They own a Bible, and on occasion they read it. They can even converse about the things of God, yet their heart is crowded and choked by the weeds of the world. When push comes to shove, this present life is more important to them than the life to come. Stuff is more important than the Savior. Instead of casting their cares on the Lord, the cares of the world distract them from seeing their deeper need for Jesus. The deceitfulness of riches deceives them into believing that cash is more pleasurable than Christ and their desire for other things chokes the gospel right out of their heart. In the end, their heart is marked by competing loves, which is why there is no real surrender to Christ as Lord. And so when you stop and you pull back a little bit and you just look at these things, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, I mean, these are these are some hard things. Like these don't necessarily have to be bad things. Like right, there might be some this idea of the cares of the world, which you know, because you can't make pay bills or because maybe you're A family member's got cancer. Maybe there's just some trouble going on in your marriage or relationship between boyfriend and girlfriend, fiancés, something going on at school, whatever it might be. There's some genuine cares of the world, but the tenor and the tone here that Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the desire for other things, the cares of the world, is that these aren't necessarily bad things. They're good things. Good things like family. For instance, Backtrack in time to last week, Jesus' family shows up on the scene and says, Listen, we're family! You need to stop doing this crazy stuff. You need to come home and calm down for a little bit before we unlock your bedroom door and let you go back out into polite society. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's possible for you to love your family on the way to hell. It's possible for you to stand before God the Father on that final day and say, but Father, I loved my mother, my brother, my sisters, my earthly father so very well. I gave so much time to them. But Jesus says, but you did so to the detriment of your soul. You actually loved your family more than you loved your Savior. You got things out of whack. You're supposed to love me above all things and let your love for me inform how you love your family. Hard, hard sayings. Things like sports. It's possible to be a sports fanatic on the way to hell. It's possible to love riches and be eternally separated from God. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things have choked many a heart Preventing them from entering into the kingdom of God because ultimately they loved the things of this world more than they love Christ. See, their heart is an example of what it looks like to live opposite of the old hymn, which says, The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and grace. Rather than this being true for the person described here with this thorny heart, this distracted heart, their life more accurately reflects that Christ's glory and grace have grown strangely dim in light of the things of earth. Well, it's in contrast to these hearts which reject the word of the gospel, Jesus wraps up the parable as he explains why some people receive the word of the gospel. So some people reject because they just have a hard heart. The gospel is heard, goes in one ear, out the other, bounces right off their heart. Some people re- reject because they're emotionally making their decisions, waffling back and forth. Others hear the gospel, know the gospel. articulate the gospel, show up to church, show up to community group, have a Bible, may even read it, know all these things, but ultimately if you could just dissect their heart, diagnose their heart, talk to them and say, tell me what do you love above all things? They would simply say, I love the things of the world. I love wealth more than I love Jesus. And Jesus says that still puts you in a place of unbelief. So let me show you what it looks like for those people who receive the word of the gospel and he says they receive the word of the gospel because they have a transformed or fruitful heart verse 8 Jesus says and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold 60 fold and a honey meaning this that those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who here it is hear the word hear the message of the gospel, hear the good news that King Jesus saves sinners. They accept it, and what happens is their lives bear fruit as a result of the Word of God in their lives, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Notice that this final soil is just remarkably different from the first three. It's not hard, it's not shallow, it's not distracted. It is just ripe, fertile, good Place where the soil can, the seed can hit and immediately start bearing fruit. Jesus says, This good soil that we find here, this fourth soil, it represents those who hear the word of the gospel, they accept the gospel, and as a result, the gospel bears fruit in their life. By God's grace, their heart has been plowed up to receive the word of God. See, we can be, you gotta be careful here, because what you don't wanna do is go, okay, some people just have bad bad hearts, bad soil kind of hearts. And there's some people who are out there just naturally these good hearts who just sort of traipse along and they hear the Word of God and they're like, well, I just automatically believe because I, I am one with the good soil kind of heart. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, like, listen, we need good soil kind of hearts. And the question is, how do we get good soil kind of hearts? And it comes by the grace of God. When God comes and plows up our hearts to receive the Word, By the power of the Holy Spirit, this person has been transformed, and as a result, the gospel is producing a harvest of godliness in their life. Tribulation and persecution on account of the word do not deter. Worry, wealth, and desire do little to distract. This person aggressively pursues the word so that it can take root in their life, producing abundant growth. And notice the promise that comes with a grace-transformed heart that's thirsty for the Word. Jesus says, it will grow and it will bear fruit. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, and a hundred-fold. See, this is what Jesus was driving at. This idea of gospel fruit in the lives of those who are genuine believers. This is what Jesus is driving at in a place like John 15. If you haven't read John 15 in a a while, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remember that? Pretty famous. Jesus talks about what it looks like to abide in him, to be attached to him as the vine. Jesus says in John 15, the one who remains in me and I in him, here it is, produces much fruit. In saying this, Jesus shows there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. See, when the seed of the gospel takes root in a heart, there will be fruit. See, we can go around proclaiming all day long I know Jesus. I trust Jesus. I believe Jesus. I go to this church. I go to this community group. I pray this way. I give money in this way. I help people out in this way. I serve this way. I do all of these things. But when you just step back and survey the panorama of their life, there just seems to be a fruit of the Spirit that's lacking. They're not marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. There's a genuine fruit in keeping with repentance that is just not there in their life. They're not marked by good works as a result of the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that there will never be battles against sin for the genuine believer. This doesn't mean that there will never be struggles with sinful desires or sinful longings for the genuine believer because we know that to be true. We just see it in the New Testament letters too often that genuine believers, though they are redeemed, they will battle, they will struggle, temptations will pull at them. It's the old hymn, I'm prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Lord, take my heart, bind it with a fetter to you. I know, I know where I'm prone to go, but I am yours. You've saved me. Conform me to you, conform me to you. We know of this to be the cry of the genuine believer. So we're not saying what Jesus isn't saying over here, this idea of bearing fruit, it doesn't mean that there will never be battles against sin or sinful desires or sinful longings, but what it does mean is that the person who's been truly transformed by the Word of the Gospel is that they will see progress in their fight against sin. They will see progress. Slow, two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes one step forward, five step back. But the general trajectory of their life as a result of the Holy Spirit transforming them and the Holy Spirit living within them is that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the gospel will work itself out in their lives. They will see progress in their fight. So one of the most important things you can do right now is to simply ask yourself, where am I? Where am I? Do you guys remember the old kid, the children's book, Where's Waldo? Am I dating myself here? Am I like, right, where's Waldo, anybody? Yeah, okay, a couple of people. The, the more senior of us, okay, maybe one back there, not, not so. So where's Waldo, right? It's those books of the guy that wears like the, the red and white stripes. What you're supposed to do is look into that book, and you know buried in there somewhere is Waldo. And so you've got to search and look for him when you come to the parables really what you're supposed to do is sort of sort of treat it like a where's waldo but instead of finding waldo you're meant to find yourself the parables in a way are to serve as a mirror they're meant to show us our own hearts and light of god's word so whenever you read the parable of the soils jesus isn't saying all right kids sit down for story time let me just tell you a good little story and if you'd like, you can just sort of detach yourself from this story, and yeah, yeah, it's good for other people, maybe not good for me. Way to go, Jesus, you know, four soils, excellent. And then I can just sort of dismiss these words and go on the way. Jesus says that's not the point. The point is you, sir, and you, ma'am, you exist in this parable somewhere. Either you're hard-heart person, shallow-heart person, distracted-heart person, or fruitful-heart person. Those are the four categories Jesus is saying that whenever you hear the good news of the gospel and it lands on your heart, you will find yourself somewhere in one of these four categories. So when Jesus says over here in verse 9, listen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He is calling you to perk up. He is simply calling you to pay attention and find yourself in one of these four categories. Are you impervious to the gospel? As soon as the books are closed and we say the amen we walk out of the service, the things of God are just immediately snatched away. Are you the shallow heart, easily swayed by emotions, yet caught in unbelief? Are you the distracted heart, choked by the weeds of the world, or are you in the place of a transformed, fruitful heart because you have been saved, redeemed by the grace of God? See, today, if you hear his voice, the encouragement of the psalmist is, do not harden your hearts. So my challenge to you is this, is we're we're done, we're wrapping up. Is that in this moment right now that you take the time to ask a singular question. God, where am I? In light of this parable. My assumption is that God will begin to answer and He will begin to speak in some way to you and help you to identify where you're at in regard to these four soils. And as God speaks and as God moves, the encouragement of the psalmist is today, if you hear His voice, and as God lands on you, listen, it's a hard heart. It's a shallow heart. It's a distracted heart. See, those aren't hopeless places to be. It's just God helping you to define the reality. And when God helps you define the reality, then what we can do is we can pray more accurately. God, I truly do not just give a rip about the gospel. I have a hard heart. Church thing, load a bunk. Don't want anything to do with it. God, but, but I feel like maybe you're starting to pique my interest a little bit. Will you change my heart? God, it's it's true. I'm sitting here, and like I sort of like I sort of find I'm ebbing and flowing. Like I'm immediately happy about the word sometimes, but then some of the times, like I'm a little like I just I find myself over here in this place washing back and forth, where I'm unwilling to claim Christ in certain areas of my life because I don't want the kind of fallout, the kind of mocking, the kind of jeering that will come as a result of the tribulation and the persecution that arise on account of the word. And so Jesus is saying this: Listen, you're, there, we have a we have a problem here. And so if you're in that place, you can genuinely lift it up to God and say, God, I've got a shallow heart, and I I need you to do a work in my heart to where you make me not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Do you find yourself here in a place of a a distracted heart where you go, listen, the cares of the world, I love these things more than I love Jesus. I love money more than I love Jesus. I love the bottom line. I love my 401K. I love my new truck. I love the upgrade more than I love Jesus. And I love that catch-all phrase, the desire for other things, whatever the variable is in your life, where you say, man, it's just true, this thing consumes me more than Jesus consumes me. You can lift that up to Christ and say, I need you to change my heart. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but beg and plead with God to give you a new heart. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are the God who has the power to change hearts. You are the God who has the power to change hearts. And so this is what we pray. That God, wherever we find ourselves on this spectrum, hard heart, shallow heart, distracted heart, that you would bring us to the place by your power and by your grace where we go, man, I've got a transformed, fruitful heart not because I'm great, not because I've done anything, but because Christ is great and because Christ has done everything by dying on the cross and resurrecting from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. God, we need you to work in our hearts and lives. We are helpless and hopeless without you, but because you're the God who cares for each and every one of us, we can have hope because we find our help in you. God, we love you and we thank you. Would you make your word not to return void in these ways? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.